Jay Bruce digging in to start tonight. High drive. Left center field. Racing back to the wall. Bourgeois. The Reds are National League Central Division champions. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 47 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. The boys are back in town, everybody. Finally, pitchers and catchers have reported and... That is not even the biggest story this week. I know you guys know what we're going to talk about. I mean, we might as well just lead off with it, right? It's the big news of the week. Absolutely. The Dark Knight, Matt Harvey, has signed a minor league deal with the Baltimore Orioles. He is back. The Dark Knight returns. New York is is going crazy. Just kidding. No, we're not. The top story is Tatis, obviously. That huge extension... I mean, I feel terrible almost saying this because it should be about Tatis, but I'm not going to lie. The very first thing I thought of when I saw that was that horrible extension that Acuna signed with the Braves. (laughs) Like Acuna definitely saw that news and fired his agent immediately. See, I thought thought the opposite. I saw that and my first thought was like, oh boy, Lindor is going to be expensive now. Oh, for sure. And it was really funny. You know, you had a lot of people because it's a long deal. 14 years sounds really long, but the reality is he's so young. He's 22. Yeah, he has another four years until he would have hit free agency. So basically this extension just allows him to pay him a little bit more in the years that they had control over him already. And then when he would have hit free agency in four years, that's when the big money kicks in, 30 million, 30 and a half million uh, average annual value, where leading up to that, it's like 1 million, 5 million, 7 million, 11 million or something like that. Yeah. And you know, to me, it's it's a bigger picture thing because you had turned me on to this months ago that San Diego is serious, you know, going all the way back to Machado and like, if, if there wasn't already enough proof on the table, this signing is like, this is a commitment. This is, they are not fucking around. They are serious. They don't want this kid going anywhere. And again, I know I said it already. He is 22 years old. That is crazy. What the fuck was I doing 10 years ago? I don't even know. But yeah, I mean, man, this is what I mean, we're doing 10 years later. So that's right. Yeah, exactly. That I wasn't still, anything too fucking great. Well, I still have four years left in my $340 million contract. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know what? I mean, you love to see it. I wish that he was on a team that I'd be able to watch more. And you know, I've heard some complaints about that. People saying it's bad for the game because he's on the West Coast. But is it though? Because, you know, you're people keep defaulting to it. I saw some guys saying like, you know, all the good players should be on the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs. It's like, well, yeah, that's just perpetuating the same problem. Like mix it up a little bit. Let's get some good players in other teams. Like so that maybe, I don't know, people want to go out of their way to watch this guy on this team. It's it, it's a great move, man. It's it's so good for the game. Homeboys getting paid and you love to see it. Yeah. And like absolutely. It's like this is how you grow the game. Of course, In the Northeast, where literally Major League Baseball originated, the original teams and league were in the Northeast. So the fan base is huge because it's had over a century to build. And 
it's ingrained in our culture in the Northeast. Like being a Yankee fan, it's like, oh, I'm a Yankee fan because my dad was a Yankee fan and his dad was a Yankee fan and so on and so forth. And you still have a little bit of that with the Dodgers because of their history. But obviously most of Brooklyn Dodger fans are now Mets fans because they still lived in the area and their families live in the area. So even the Dodgers (laughs) don't have that like rich history of fandom necessarily that the Northeast teams have. So for people to be like, oh, it's bad for Trout and for these guys to be playing on the West Coast, Tatis, how else are the game supposed to grow? Because the same people also complain that the game is dying. So... Right, yeah. Which which is it? It yeah, can't be you're, both. You're literally arguing in favor of, like, wrapping the plastic bag around the proverbial head of Major League <laughs> Baseball. It's, it's such a defeatist attitude. It's like, oh, well, that's where the players go anyway. Just send them there. It's like... <laughs> And I mean, needless to say, to no one's surprise, the you know Tatis saw this big news. Trevor Bauer, of course, managed to bring it back to what else? Oh Trevor Bauer, dude. Those fucking tweets. I Ooh. like after I saw that this first one continued, and I clicked on the op- to open the second one, then saw there's more. It was literally the meme of like, I'm not reading all that. Sorry that happened to yeah. you, or I'm happy for you. It's so funny to me that like he genuinely thinks that he is making cogent points and being you know really like down the center of the aisle almost. It's like, no, dude, you are so desperate to just make everything. The fact that people are still not talking about his signing and they have something else to talk about now is driving him crazy on some level, and he has to bring it back. He oh my god, because he was so badly, and and to his credit. He and his agent did a very good job of making him the story of the offseason. Yeah. So he got the Cy Young, and then they easily parlayed that with the media company into drumming up a lot of talk for him. And he got the biggest contract, or so he thought, of the offseason. <laughs> so then when Tatis swooped in there, like literally on the heels of that deal, he was fucking raging mad for sure. And that tweet chain, because I saw it summarized in places, I skimmed it. It was basically just like uh, saying my deal is better still than Tatis's because he has to pay his lawyer. But that, and it's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about right now? The lawyer I, fees? It's such a it, it was such a weird take. I don't know where that guy's head is at. Uh, well, I do. It's 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 up his ass. But uh, and, you speaking know, my, of up their ass, I was gonna say my, yeah because my big takeaway from all that because you know I I don't really give Trevor Bauer the mental time of day as much as I used to. And it's a nice place to be. Em, let me tell you. Um, so we do dedicate like two minutes a week to him for the last 10 weeks. Shut up. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like my, my first thought when I saw that diatribe from Bauer was like, you know what? It's a, another level of good thing. The Mets didn't get him because we have enough of a social media. Um, let's say presence to be nice and, and avoid saying loudmouth or something like that. I was going to say pariah. Pariah is a good one. Pariah is a good one. You know, I, I was thinking about that, but then I thought that was almost too generous. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about Marcus Stroman people. Another guy who's, you know, Marcus Stroman's biggest fan is Marcus Stroman's Twitter account. I, I got a kick out of this week, man. The Everything is elite with Stroman. First and foremost, you know, his body is elite. His training is elite. His preparation is elite. This dude better fucking perform man like he is talking way too big a game and i say that as like you know i'm not a particularly self-aggrandizing person i'm I'm self-deprecating if anything so i can't relate to that kind of mentality to begin with but it is it is overboard man like everything is like you are setting yourself up for failure like anything less than a cy young if you're everything is elite except the performance then what's (laughs) the point and hopefully dj bingington can uh come in here with the clip from his press conference today but 
So a reporter in a press conference with Stroman today basically just asked him if he was excited to pitch a full season in Queens because he grew up in Patchogue, Medford. So it must be exciting for him to do this. Stroman says, yes, I can't wait. My family can come to my games. Then proceeds to say that the false reports of him wishing that he could get signed or traded to the Yankees were false. Marcus, as a Long Island native, to have a chance to pitch a whole season here for the Mets, uh, how excited are you about that opportunity and what kind of privilege is it to be pitching so close to where you grew up? Man, beyond excited. You know what I mean? A lot of false media reports when I first got traded over that came out and said that I wanted to pitch for the Yankees, which were... <laughs> completely false. Um, I was beyond excited to be traded to the Mets, to be honest with you. My family, I have way more Met fans in my family than I do Yankee fans. So the fact that that report let it run was was crazy at the time because I was beyond excited to pitch in Queens for my entire future, to have my mom, my brother, my dad, my sister, my brother-in-law, my whole family at every game is a blessing and something that I haven't had the opportunity to do. So, um, yeah, I've been excited to pitch in Queens. I've been excited to pitch in New York for the Mets. Um, nothing has changed since the time I got traded over, regardless of what reports have ran. It was like the most rehearsed, unnecessary insert I'd heard in a, a lot of these interviews. And these interviews are all rehearsed and brutal and canned. So for that one to stand out particularly, it was like, dude, why? Me thinks the, uh, the pitcher doth protest too much, you know? And it was so out of place. Like, dude, no one's asking you about those comments. No one's even thinking about those comments anymore. Right, and that, that, I think that's why the Bauer thing brought me there because like it was the same thing it's like nobody is making this comparison in their head no, nobody is comparing your deal to Tatis's no one is comparing Rachel Luba to whoever I mean if anything it says a lot that I don't know who Tatis's agent is good for him uh, same know. as Manny Machado's I'm pretty sure or the same agency anyway oh okay no, yeah no idea who that would be but <laughs> me either that's all I know I don't know the names or anything but yeah man I mean hey he's you know he, he's on my team and when he's good you know Stroman can be you know he has good moments so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic I hope that he lives up to it but he is he is setting a high fucking bar and it's making me a little nervous if I'm being honest so since we last spoke I guess that's not even the term since we're only speaking to each other not to everyone listening but since we last recorded the Yankees have brought in a few more players they signed Jay Bruce, who is a left-handed hitter, which a lot of you have been absolutely begging for. They signed him, I think it was to a one-year deal, something short. And they also brought in... I think it was a in... minors deal, actually, wasn't it? Oh, really? I believe that Jay Bruce was minors, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's fucking great. And Justin Wilson, who is a, a reliever, who's now going to make our pen even more solid, be that extra guy in there, hopefully to fill in for my now-gone favorite, Tommy Thighs, Canely. Gonna miss him this year, but hopefully Wilson can step in. I mean, he's got a pretty, he's got an elite K percentage. It's been hovering around 26 for the last three years, and it's basically his career average of K percentage is 26. So that's elite. That's what you want out of the pen. You want them to come in and strike guys out. So I'm psyched about it. And yeah, you know, I, I actually could have, well, not with this specific numbers, but I could have more or less told you that because both these guys are former Mets. It's kind of like a reverse Mets from back in the day, right? Like when we would always get the old Yankees. Dude, I made that joke about like getting out oh, the Yankees are getting the, the Mets are spending dough and the Yankees are picking up their sloppy seconds. How well did that go over? Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> at least once a month I make a joke like that and then I have a ton of people in my mentions being like, oh, oh, so what about the Mets? You guys suck. And I'm like, I am not a Mets fan. Like take a fucking <laughs> joke one time. Jesus. But yeah, no, I mean, 
from you know from getting to watch them play for a while. I mean, Jay Bruce, I think, is kind of a known quantity at this point. Everybody knows who Jay Bruce is. But yeah, Justin Wilson, I I liked watching him. You know, he was one of the better parts of our bullpen through some years when our bullpen you know had some struggles. Nobody's perfect, but you know, Wilson, I remember having a lot of good outings. You know, having some good performances. So I think he's going to be good for you guys. And yeah, Jay Bruce is far. You know, everybody's clamoring for a lefty bat, and then as soon as it's Jay Bruce with a lefty bat, it's still not good enough so I, I don't know what you guys want but when Bruce is on he's you know everything's gonna get hit to right field he's a crazy pull hitter but he's he can hit and not to mention Bruce and, and Didi they have just for brevity's sake yeah. they have their career wars are around the same I think Bruce has around 20 Didi has 18 of course Bruce has about double the amount of games played and played appearances so that's to say you know that now Didi is a little bit better than Bruce but Bruce is a power hitter and also Didi wants to play every day. He's still at an age where he can play every day on another team. So Bruce is the best of both worlds because he comes here, he will be great off the bench as a lefty hitter at Yankee Stadium, but he's not coming here expecting to have a starting position over guys that he knows are way better than him. And the Yankees were able to sign him to the short deal or the minor league deal because of that, because he's towards the end of his career. So Didi was never an option because there's no room for him because he doesn't want to be a utility player. That was never going to happen. So for people to like be upset that it's Bruce and not another lefty, mainly Didi, it's just another example of Yankee fans put the Yankees in a position where because it may not work out, they're going to blame this move. So it's like you can't win. You can't win with Yankee fans. They're never happy. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, I know that that's the it's that striving for excellence, which is what you want. But it, it comes back to that point of like, you know, Offseason, at the end of the day, you can't get every player, right? Every single player doesn't fit on your team. Like, I know that happened to the Mets a few times. There's been some complaints about we haven't done everything to the bullpen that we can. Well, part of that's because bullpen guys want to close. Like, they're the really good ones. They all want to close. And when you're coming into a situation, you know, with Edmund Diaz and Trevor May, yada, 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 and you can't guarantee a closing position, the guy's going to look elsewhere. And it's that kind of thing with Didi, where it's like, you know what? He knows what he wants. The Yankees can't really offer him what he wants. So he's not there anymore. And, and, you know, Jay Bruce is the opposite. The Yankees are a great fit for Jay Bruce. He's not an everyday player. He's a great bench guy. Once he gets up out of the minors, like it, it's going to be good, you know? For sure. And that's to wrap that up, I'm happy with the Yankees offseason. Because like I've already said uh, time and time again, they didn't need to do that much. The team is already good enough to win the division and make it to the playoffs without a problem, really. Even if they have a few injuries here or there, they're going to be able to sustain and get there. So... There wasn't anyone necessarily that they could have realistically brought onto the team to move the needle. Because, yeah, of course, there's players that were in free agency that if they brought them, it'd make the team better. But that's why I use the qualifier realistic moves. They were never going to trade for Lindor. They were never going to sign Bauer. They weren't going to spend all of this money when they just did. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like, would you agree that essentially the linchpin of your offseason came down to re-signing LeMahieu? Correct, and, and I think, and I think bringing in Justin Wilson too. To show yeah, up you're the right. Pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you guys, you know, for for whatever my opinion matters on the Yankees. No, I do. <laughs> I do think you guys had a good off season. And as for my Mets, like at the end of the day, I cannot not be happy with this offseason. For anyone totally. who doesn't like double negatives, I'm happy with it. I, <laughs> I, I just am, you know. And that said, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of qualifiers here. What else is new? But that said. Were there some missed opportunities? 100%. Was it as good as it could have been? No. Am I doing that annoying rhetorical thing where I ask ask myself questions I know the answer to? Yes. But (laughs) (laughs) 
No, but seriously, um, yes, you know, we didn't get Springer, you know, we didn't get uh, Bauer, yada, yada, yada. And sure, so yeah, it's not as good as it could have been. But perspective is important, people. You know, and at the end of the day, even if this, even if we just did Lindor with this new owner, that's a good offseason. You're telling me as a Mets fan dealing with the Wilpons for 20 years, you wouldn't have considered that a good offseason? I, I sure would. And, you know, I think maybe I'm still operating under... I don't know if my brain has fully raised the bar to where Cohen could potentially raise it. You know what I mean? Like I'm still working through that. Like, oh wait, no, we're 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 better now. Like I'm I'm still working through that on some level, but um, you know, so yeah, they, they didn't do everything that they could have, but I think they did a lot of good stuff, and I think that we're in the best position that we've been in in years. I mean, the reality is the moves that the Mets made in the off season just pushed them up into the projections to a 90 plus win team. So that's moving the needle a significant amount. Yeah. That's now putting them into the conversation in their division, which is arguably the toughest division in the league. So I think that anyone who is upset with the offseason was expecting too much, frankly. You they are 100% Cohen right. was not going to come in here. and they, I mean, the, the tools weren't even necessarily available to turn the Mets from an 83 to 85 win team into a 103 win team in the NL East and then making it to the World Series. That was not going to happen from 2020 to 2021. But they came pretty fucking close. And and at the end of the day, you know, I know when it comes to player evaluation, we don't like the eye test on this show, of course. But I think in a question it's like this... It's a radio this, show. We and, do right, not and, like the eye test. <laughs> and I'm about to say this, you know, so... Qualifiers, qualifiers, qualifiers. So even though, you know, the eye test is no good for player evaluation, even though, yeah, okay, the whole thing we do here is analysis, but I feel like when you're asking the question, how do you feel about the offseason, it is important to ask a basic question like, okay, well, how excited are you to watch these games after what happened this offseason? And I'm really fucking pumped, and not just in a, yeah, baseball's back way, which, I mean, we'll get into that later, but just on the level of, like, am I more excited about this Mets team than I've been in years since 2015 easily? Yep. And so that, to me, at the end of the day, that's a successful offseason. And it's funny that you bring that up because I just had the opportunity to be on Locked On MLB with uh, Sully. Uh, this is my second time on the show. It was a great conversation. We were talking about steroids, of course. I feel like that's, that, that is <laughs> the story that calling cards me. at this I'm, point, right? I'm literally like the professional. I spoke that into existence by c- calling myself an A-Rod historian for all these years that now people think that I'm now a PED professional, which I guess I kind of well, am. They see A-Rod historian, they read Balco historian. Uh, excuse me, it was Biogenesis. Balco was Bonds. Get and your the, PED scandal straight. And this is why you're the PED expert. Now continue. <laughs> I know, you really, you really pitched that one up to me. A real yeah, softball. I, I, put, I put that on the tee, let's be real. So in, in our conversation, he brought up that what he feels gets lost with fans, and, and this ties back to what you were saying about enjoying the offseason that the Mets just had, is... This is for entertainment. They're here to entertain us over the summer months. So when people are like World Series championship or bust, and then like they're treating it like as if they own the team or are like playing on the team, like it's such a strange thing that I feel like fans forget that this is for entertainment. So when you get too lost in the sauce and then you just find yourself not enjoying anything, I feel like people need to take a step back and say, why am I watching this? Why am I following this? Why am I doing all of these things? Is it because I feel like I'm invested, like this is my job? Or because it's entertaining and this is what I've chosen to do in my very limited free time as an adult? Yeah, I think think you hit the nail on the head when you said that it comes down to people having unreasonable expectations. It really seems like 
a lot of these people's standards are if you don't come out of the offseason as the odds-on favorite to win the World Series, then it's a failure of an offseason. And that's just not true in baseball. We talk about, too, how, you know, really the bigger point is to get to the postseason because after that, it's a crapshoot. It's a dice roll, you know? Who knows? Yeah, often the better teams will do better, but it's much less of a guarantee at that point. So, again, end of the day, I mean, we know the Yankees continue to keep themselves in a good place. And now the Mets, I think, have pushed themselves. I'm not saying they're as good as the Yankees yet, but they're they're on their heels at the very least. And the fact that we are now, it doesn't seem like a stretch to make the playoffs. I don't know what else I could really ask for in a lot of ways. Another conversation that this is like an evergreen conversation that comes up, (laughs) I feel like every month, but now the focus is on the Dodgers. It was on the Yankees for many years. And that conversation is fans of other teams saying that the Dodgers spending money is bad for baseball. Another horrible take, very a different side of the same coin about people saying that Tatis's signing was bad for baseball. What's bad for baseball is not the Dodgers going over the luxury tax or the Yankees having a consistent $200 million plus payroll. It's teams like the fucking Pirates having a consistent under $100 million payroll and that has been declining for years. It's teams at the bottom. They are what is killing baseball, not the teams that are investing into their product and making an exciting product that fans want to come out in droves to see and will watch 162 games at home. Those aren't the teams that are killing baseball. Give me a fucking break. No, and you know what? Not for nothing. If if you want a salary cap, go watch football. Go go watch basketball. Like, this is not how things work here. You know, what, what's depressing is, and I should have kept these numbers in front of me, but it's something like the bottom three, four, five teams, one of those numbers, you add all their payrolls together and it's still less than the Dodgers. The entire Indians payroll is less than what Mike Trout makes. That's insane. And you know, it's like, I don't know... I, I'm hesitant to lay in too deep here because you know I'm, I'm not a money guy. I'm not a finances guy. I don't pretend to understand that stuff, even on a personal level, but much less <laughs> on a baseball level. Um, so, but yeah, so in my head, it's like, is there any way, and I'm sure Max will get us on this, has a salary floor ever been discussed? Is that even a realistic thing that like to buy a baseball team, you have to spend you know, you have to commit to spending a certain amount every offseason. I don't know if that would fuck everything up. That might be unrealistic. I really don't have any idea, but something has to change. That definitely isn't unrealistic because I've absolutely seen rumblings of that. Okay. Not saying that it's been anything official, but right. the salary floor is something that I see thrown around, around a lot because I think you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube at this point, I think, with salaries that I can't imagine any union member at this point being like, yeah, you know what? Let's do the salary cap. Like yeah. this sport would go down in flames before that happens. And frankly, I would be OK with that because these owners are making money hand over fist. So they would should there be a cap? Point. No, yeah. there's no cap on revenue. And then at that point, they'd have to then increase their revenue share, which is already in contention. So it's like. The floor is the only thing I see happening, maybe, but I don't even see that because I can't imagine the owners would ever put that in place. No, you're right. And like, even even if a salary floor would be too, too complex or too far, I feel like the teams aren't even incentivized to go for it at this point. You know what I mean? Like it's, they're getting, you want to talk about revenue sharing, like they're getting money from these teams that are spending money anyway. So what, what's pushing them to do it, you know? Especially in a season where, you know, attendance is going to be all fucky and stuff like that. A lot of these owners are making the calculation that it doesn't behoove them to spend money because who knows if they're going to make it back this year. 
And so there, there's no incentive. Especially when they're throwing around the idea of keeping the extended playoffs. Obviously, it's not happening right. this year, but you know damn sure that it's going to be brought up in the CBA negotiations at the end of 2021. So if that were to happen, and, and don't get me wrong, I enjoyed that playoff series last year. It was unique. It was fun. It was something that brought a little bit of life to 2020. And it made that portion of a really, really terrible year that much more exciting. But I think that it was fine for 2020. I was I don't... Plus, Fran got a speaker out of it. So, I mean, it wasn't all Yeah, that, exactly. Right? We got to do those awesome brackets. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But moving forward, when life gets back to normal and pro sports get back to normal, it de-incentivizes teams to spend. And they already, like John just said, they already don't have any incentive. But I think the, the, the big point, just to... Sorry, to, to, to wrap this up, if you think that having the, the Dodgers high payroll is worse for the sport than the Pirates low payroll, ask yourself why and re really try to think it out. You know, I don't mean that in a condescending way, just because I get that instinct to be like, oh, they're spending too much. Nobody else can be competitive. But when you dig beyond the surface of it, it's it's more so the fault of the lower teams for not trying than it is, you know, something that we should punish these bigger teams for putting in an effort and trying to win. It's not like the pirates are a fucking co-op and they just have people right. from the community coming in to like run a mom and pop baseball team. This is a professional team owned by a fucking billionaire. We're complaining about low payroll. It's it's still like forty million dollars in that ballpark. You know, that's a ballpark. I should I should come up with a better expression for a baseball podcast. But it's it's in and around forty million dollars. So we're not talking about a small amount of money, you know, for you or me or the audience. And that, that's part of the problem, too, is these numbers are so comically big that it's hard to wrap our brains around them. And that's why when it always gets boiled down to like, well, it's millionaires arguing with billionaires. It's like, OK, but we're that's not talking difference. about 100 millionaires. There is a huge difference between even someone like Mike Trout, who's not through his gigantic contract. He doesn't. Steve Cohen could like set that amount of money that he that Trout makes a year on fire and it wouldn't matter. He may have, and we don't know. We don't know that he hasn't. We don't know that. He is into art, and I feel like that would be a very avant-garde art thing. Well, actually, you could argue that that is what art collecting is on a very basic level. It's just burning money. So I almost forgot to, uh, to read my copy here because I was just digging that home improvement jam. So as we mentioned last week, guys, uh, we're going to be doing a little... Uh, little contest, a little home run calling contest. We're calling it home run improvement. You heard last week we had that trout opening where they just completely took a shit on this 300th home run. And uh, we think we can do better. We think that you can do better. And I'm talking to you again, audience. So a uh, little bit more information on that next week, episode 48. Remember, it comes out on Saturdays. We're going to be announcing all the actual details and you know what call we're going to be doing. And then all the details for you to send it in, where to send it, and what your deadline is. And we are aiming to have a winner for our 50th episode celebration, which is only three weeks away, which is fucking insane. But that's neither here nor there. And the only call that we're going to play on air is John and I, and then the winner. So give it a shot. If yeah. you're a little nervous, and believe me, we talk on the microphone every single week. I am nervous as hell to do this call. Just John and I have been like pushing it off. I was just going to say, to get a little meta, we've been avoiding this for a couple weeks now because we have to, we're right there with you. We are not asking you to do anything that we're not going to do ourselves. So you are going to hear us, Em and I, put our all into improving one of these home run calls. So we're right there with you. And don't worry, you guys know us by now. 
we're not going to like make fun of anybody's call. No, like it's not no. like if you send it in and you are don't worry about that. We're not going to do that shit ever. We just want to have people participate. We want to see what everyone's got. And honestly, I need the community support because I am nervous as hell to do it. So I need you guys to rally around me and send in your calls. It's also worth noting at the end of, I forgot to mention, there, there is a prize for this when you win. There is, there is a winner and we will be sending you something. So stay tuned. Now let's get right into the voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Diego. Hi, good evening. This is Diego calling again. Appreciate the kind words via tweet and uh, also on your talk show. So, I mean, as we know, you know, the biggest rivalry, as you could say, is, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, next in line, Cubs, Cardinals, then next after that, Giants, Dodgers, dating back to the Brooklyn, New York days. So, sports, my, my thing is, is uh, Sports Illustrated released a cover, or at least online, of how the Padres-Dodgers rivalry is kind of something to watch. Now, the Dodgers don't consider the Padres rivals, and okay, fine, that's them. But they feel that the Giants are their rival, which is historically true. Due to the fact that the Giants are kind of declining, you know, they're getting rid of their, they're slowly letting their stars go uh, by contract, and the new team in town, as you've watched in the 68th season, is the Padres. So... With respect to all the other rivalries I've mentioned, do you feel that the Padres-Dodgers rivalry is kind of a a 2020s kind of deal? Do you think it's something to kind of look at from the East Coast, or is it kind of just like not really anything? Thank you for taking my call. Enjoy your week. Honestly, Diego, I think that the Dodgers and the Padres are going to be a great head-to-head competition in 2021. I think that their series this year are going to be amazing to watch. But I think, and this may be semantical of me, but I think calling it a rivalry is being a little presumptive because there hasn't, there is no rivalry there, to be honest. I, I know that as the team, like the, the little brothers, quote-unquote, of that division, the Dodgers are your rival because they've been the best team in your division for so long, but you are not their rival. They don't see you as a rival. So I think that when that there's no mutual rivalry there from teams and fan bases, it's not a rivalry. Uh, and I don't mean that to be rude, but I, I think that they have to win a little bit more and beat the Dodgers for a few years and win the division for a few years to even have that conversation. Well, yeah, I think if we were talking about a team that wasn't as old as the Dodgers, there might be more of an argument to like, well, you know, it's it's the Padres' opportunity to make themselves a rival. But sorry, Diego, with the Dodgers, it, it can't be done. I mean, you even wanted just to throw some numbers at you. The first Dodgers-Giants game was 1890. And besides that, it's been an extremely close rivalry all these years. Uh, they're separated, each having played over, I think, they played each other over 2,400 times, and they're separated by 21 games. That's crazy. Like, they are neck and neck, and they have been for a long time. And even just for a point of comparison, I mean, I'm not going to say which one is a bigger rivalry, but you look at Yankees-Red Sox, they started 11 years later, and the Yankees are up on the Sox by over 200 games. So it's really, I know, historically, it's not as competitive as Dodgers-Giants. So it's not entirely the Padres' fault, but they have an uphill climb to the point of basically being impossible to ever have the Dodgers call them their main rival. It's always going to be the Giants. It just is. Diego, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Andrew from Hell's Kitchen. Andrew from Hell's Kitchen. 
I absolutely love what the Yankees did this offseason. Not only did they get what they need to fill their needs, they also built around the margins really well. Justin Wilson gives them five proven relievers in the pen, which I love. And uh, they they also filled the bench out with uh, their non-roster invitees, like uh, Derek Dietrich, who can who's a bat-first guy who can sort of fake it at multiple positions and hopefully takes away at bats from Tyler Wade. Uh, great job, Cashman, as usual, A+. Plus. Uh, as for the Mets, I kind of give them the B. I don't like the James McCann signing because, you know, there's upside. Uh, I think the downside outweighs the upside because of the small sample size. I think the most likely outcome is that he's like an average to slightly above average hitting catcher that's back to his usual bad self at framing. Uh, I think they should have gone for, uh, if not real Muto, if they weren't willing to pay that big money, they should have went for Jason Castro, who went to the Astros. Uh, that guy can frame significantly better, and his offense, his offense is probably a little bit worse, but it's not that far off. And as for center field, I have no idea what the plan is there. They should have signed Springer, especially since they were willing to pay that money for Bauer. They should have just spent money on Springer. Uh, that probably would have locked up the division for them for the next three years, in my opinion, because I don't trust the Braves pitching as much as other people. And uh, top of that, Kevin Pillar is probably going to get way too many at-bats, which uh, he shouldn't get any. So, yeah, I, I don't hate the Mets offseason, but I think it's a little overrated by the general public. Not a lot, but, like, just a little. Anyway, uh, what are your thoughts on your team's respective offseasons? Andrew, all I have to say is I totally agree with every point that you just made, and you heard already what I had to say about the Yankees offseason. So I will pass this over to John. Listen, Andrew, I got some real problems with that assessment, man. No, overall, I agree with you, and I think a B is a fair grade. I think you may be being a little harsh on McCann. After Real Muto, the drop-off is pretty steep, and it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other at that point. I didn't really have a problem with the McCann signing. Um, I know there's some framing issues. We'll see how that works out. As far as center field, Obviously, Kevin Pillar is the answer, right? Uh, no, I, I don't know. I mean, that's if there's one takeaway from this offseason that I'm disappointed in, it's that we didn't get Springer. I thought that was that was a big solution for us, or potential solution for us, that didn't come through. Um, you know, we got that guy, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong in the minors, but he's still several years away. So it's, you know, we need at least a stopgap or something. This is, it, it's weird too, because Andrew, I know you're a Yankees fan. And so I think there's an element to... <laughs> <laughs> gonna try not to insult myself too much here but I think that just by the nature of how your team has behaved over the years you have I'm not gonna say higher standards but like you're more familiar <laughs> no because that's not that's not the point it's that right. you're more familiar with what a successful offseason looks like than I am in some as far as it happening to my team you know what I mean so I think that there's definitely some like afterglow from the the Cohen purchase and it's like oh well nothing's really that bad right so yeah, I think if, if we're being critical about it, yeah, it probably is like a B. And there's a, there's a big element too of like, you know, off seasons, because they're a year apart, they seem like they're, they stand alone, but they don't really. When you're building a team, the off seasons need to all make sense as part of a bigger picture and interconnect on some level, right? And so I think that it's also, you can't quite rush to judgment because let's see what happens next year. You know, do they have a plan for some of these like, you know, obvious holes? It's like, well, Maybe they have some stopgap 
options for this year and they have a, a bigger plan for next. I don't know. So I think that, you know, obviously that doesn't mean that we need to avoid grading the off seasons. We just did. But I'm very curious to see what they do moving forward to build on this offseason. I think that's also going to play into how good this offseason looks in retrospect. Andrew, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Jerry. This is Eric Jerry D calling from Mars, listening to the Breaking Balls podcast, even up here, even though I'm full of hot air. Thank you, and she does it. No, thank you, Jerry. <laughs> I mean, if anyone somehow didn't get the reference, obviously the lander, the, the rover rather, just landed on Mars today, and it was fantastic and i mean I, I can't watch those broadcasts without tearing up a little bit you know when they all the old scientists get all excited and they're cheering it's like they won the science world series it's great <laughs> i know i fucking cried like a baby too i was sitting at my desk just like <laughs> they work so hard for this just like i say at the end of the world series or wimbledon or any sports championship now wait a minute you worked from home today right because it's snowing out like I'm, I'm in my basement right now if you couldn't hear the the sound difference i right? did my office aka sitting at my kitchen table i was gonna say with, your office AKA my desk so i just want to make sure that you weren't tearing up looking at your own lego saturn 5 that you just built it, it was the actual mars launch right it was in the background so over the edge of my computer screen was the Saturn V and Eagle on the top shelf. They're on two shelves, one right on top of the other. So it was really a beautiful scene. It was just very American. It was, it was, I almost stood up and put my hand over my heart playing the national <laughs> anthem. That's how American this fucking scene was. Jerry, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Dave. Hey, Emily and Marty. This is Dave again with his weekly bartender question. My question for the pod is, what was the last rookie that you thought was a can't miss but missed? I'll go first. I think it was Fernando Martinez. He was sold to us as being the next big thing, and just we wouldn't trade him. We wouldn't trade him. He's going to be great. He's going to be the biggest thing and just didn't materialize. Who would be your picks, guys? Thanks. For me, it's probably Jesus Montero. He was like a top prospect in the early 2000s, around 2005 or 2006, and he was touted as the second coming. And he just didn't amount to anything. Or maybe Justice Sheffield, too. He was a kind of a disappointment, but they got rid of him pretty early, so it's tough to say. Um, well, Doc, i got to be honest. If I'm going off the top of my head, Gavin Satini sticks out. I remember being told to be excited about him, and then nothing happened, and I don't know if he's even on a team right now. So I'm, I'm going to go with Satini. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's been a while. That shows you how much of a bust he was. I'm not positive I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. If he wanted you to pronounce it correctly, maybe he shouldn't have been a bust. Am I right? That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Oh, it's his fault. I'm, I'm down with that. Dave, thank you so much for your call. Our next call. So one of our regulars and favorites here at Breaking Balls is Boobock. You guys all know him and love him. He could not call in this week. He instead sent a text. So we decided to hire a voice actor to read the text. Forgot to call earlier. Can't call now, so text is my best option. Kids, it's the VIP of BBP, Bubak. Spring training has begun and Cash God still hasn't signed Uncle Brett. Chappie is throwing gas, making Gary oof. <laughs> and Bauer's still doing... Bauer things. In other news, Alan on today's Jeopardy 
is in absolutely no rush, taking his sweet time choosing a category, and I'm gonna lose it! Ugh. I'm currently in a meeting. One of those where they could have just emailed me all the info, but instead we want to waste two hours of everyone's time. Ugh. Love all you kiddos. Go Yanks! Bubak out. Bubak, thank you so much for reaching out to us, even though you couldn't call in. We just love that we're always in your mind, buddy. I just want to give a shout out and credit to my dear friend slash Breaking Balls' now resident thespian, Kevin Callahan. Thanks, Kev. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, everyone who called. You guys are amazing. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun? I mean, look at how much fun we have over here. Call into the hotline, 631-820-7377. Because of last week's success of our top six, John and I are sticking with that formula. Because it's spring training, pitchers and catchers, John and I are feeling it. We decided to do the top six things we are most looking forward to this spring training. John, why don't you kick us off with number six? So the number six thing that we are looking forward to in spring training is uh, unnecessary and gratuitous videos of players throwing shirtless. I'm not trying to call out Noah Syndergaard, but uh, Thor, put a shirt on, bro. Or don't. I mean, it's a subjective thing. (laughs) We take all comers here at Breaking Balls. Number five, someone tweets baseball's back and gets a thousand plus likes. I feel like half of these have happened already. Oh, without a doubt. (laughs) All right. The number four thing that we're looking forward to in spring training are fans overreacting to a loss or poor performance in spring training. It's one of my favorites. Without fail. Number three. The cell phone video shot through a chain link fence. It's always my favorite. It's like as if they are looking on them in a prison yard of some kind and they're just not allowed to access. It's so strange. It's great because there's an element of like, I'm not taking the best picture I could because I'm capable of going all the way up against the fence and getting a clear shot. I just want you to know that I'm here and you're not. All right. So the number two thing that we are looking forward to in spring training are players that you're never going to see again wearing the generic double ear flapped batting helmet. (laughs) You know every team has at least one floating around and it comes out in spring training. The kind of helmet that you get in Little League. Exactly. Like the foam is kind (laughs) of ripped off on one side. Yeah, well, yeah, because most of the kids are righties, so it's still on one side. And the number one thing we are most looking forward to in spring training is hearing a player described as being in the best shape of his life. Hmm, where did we hear that already? Every team, every spring training of the past, since probably since spring training started. Oh, I, I was I was thinking of uh, Mr. Elite Preparation, Elite Body, I am always prepared and therefore don't need to get ready, Marcus Stroman. Well, it does really bring to mind the video of Babe Ruth from one of his later seasons. And it was like a preseason video. And it showed, you know, there's there were like old timey ways of working out. It showed a trainer literally just like pushing a medicine ball against his stomach and like just like moving his legs in like you do with a baby. Redistribute the fat. Yeah. And the voiceover was like. Long before the first robin of spring appears, along comes Ruth in his annual battle with his waistline. 
Almost 40 and kind of fat, but the babe still has a lot of baseball in him, according to trainer Artie McGovern. Babe Ruth, almost 40 and kind of fat. So we've really come a long way as a sport where that was with the player, the best player of the time, what his pre-season work, workout looked like, and now it's the best shape of his life. I feel like the entirety of preseason workouts used to be medicine balls and then that machine where it's like the belt and you yes. lean back and it just vibrates as you stand there. <laughs> So John and I, we had a lot, if you can't tell, we had a lot of fun coming up with this top six. So much so that we came up with like fucking 30 of them. So <laughs> we were like, what are we going to do with all of these? We can't read a third top 30 list. So we decided to do a little bingo card, which we are calling Springo. Springo, our spring training bingo. We have it all filled out, ready to go. It's going to be tweeted right after this episode releases. So be on the lookout for it. It's going to be a lot of fun when you see anything on the bingo board, fill it out. And whoever gets Springo first, let us know. And maybe there'll be a little prize in it for you. Now, it, it's worth noting, though, they have to be examples either from or later than the release date, which is uh, this Saturday, February 20th. Because, you know, it would be too easy to throw in, you know, Syndergaard throwing shirtless or Strowman, you know, t telling us how good his body is, which is weird but uh yeah so they have to be from february 20th or later be sure to write down the specific example that you see as you're filling it out and uh and have fun with it we know we are i mean john and i have already sent various tweets that hit some of the squares back and forth in the dm on twitter being like springo so there's already been this is gonna this is gonna go quick there's already been so many of these checked off that i have no doubt that they're going to be continuously checked off moving forward and i gotta say uh if you've never said the word springo out loud i highly recommend it it's a lot of fun even if you don't play just say springo just try it you'll, you'll like it that about wraps it up for breaking balls this week we want to thank all of our listeners. You guys are amazing. And of course, we want to thank our callers. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy? Give the Breaking Balls Hotline a call. 631-820-7377. We also want to thank our amazing producer and engineer, DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well, at DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys next week. Misdemeanor on the floor, pretty boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump, make you wanna hurt something. I can take your man, I don't have to sex something. Hang him out the window, pull me Michael Jackson.